Welcome back to the Religiosity Podcast. If you're new here, I'm Sarah and I talk all things religion. Today we'll be discussing religious denominations, in particular Christian denominations. Now you may be thinking, what is a religious denomination? Well, a religious denomination is a subgroup within a religion that operates under a common name, tradition and identity. Christianity in particular has three main denominations in the world today, Catholic, Orthodox and Anglican. Anglicans hold the belief that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had more children. They were Jesus' brothers and sisters, and they only prayed to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They practice and worship in a way first set out by the Book of Common Prayer while celebrating the sacraments of baptism and Eucharist. They are led by the Archbishop of Canterbury and also have bishops and priests who run their parishes. They also interpret the Bible based on their salvation and Christian faith of the Bible while believing that Mary didn't conceive without sin. Now, Catholics have a little bit of a different style of thinking when it comes to religiosity. Catholics hold the belief of the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception and believe that the bread and wine is actually the body and blood of Christ. They practice the ceremonial worship of the Mass and the celebration of all seven sacraments. The leadership structure is based on the belief that the Pope has authority over the Church and it follows from the Pope to the Cardinals to the Archbishops to normal bishops and to parish priests. They also follow and worship the Bible as the Word of God. The Orthodox Church reject the dominance of the Pope over the whole Christian Church, although they do recognise him as a bishop. The Orthodox Church believe in the filioque way where the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. They also have a rich pictorial and ignographic tradition for venerating saints. They stand during prayer, use leavened bread and permit married priests. The key differences between the Anglican and Catholic Church include Anglicans and Catholics were one of the same until Henry VIII broke them from the Church. The Anglican Church avoids hierarchy while the Catholic Church embraces it. And much of the Mass is the same, but Catholics believe in the bread and wine and how the bread and wine is actually the body and blood of Christ. The main difference of the Catholic and Anglican Church is the leadership structure. The Anglican Church does not recognise any central hierarchy that places one church or priest over all others. This gives each individual church a region, a lot of freedom to decide on each policy. The Archbishop of Canterbury is considered the first among equals, but this does not give him authority over churches outside his region. The Catholic Church has a fully entrenched hierarchy. At the lowest rung are the parish priests, then the bishops, archbishops, the cardinals, and finally the big guy, the Pope himself. The key differences between the Catholic and Orthodox Church are the Catholic and Orthodox have a different calendar. The Roman Catholics tend to kneel in prayer while Orthodox worshippers usually stand. Roman Catholics use unleavened bread, which means they don't use yeast, while Orthodox use leavened bread, which they use yeast. The Catholic and Orthodox Church celebrate church feasts such as Christmas on different dates. Many Orthodox churches have since adopted the new calendar, which means that the feasts now conclude now, after I just discussed the Christian denominations, you may be wondering why do these divisions in Christianity actually exist and what is the purpose of them? They exist for the reason that back in the 1500s, the Roman popes were in a strengthened position due to the theological calmness of the West, compared to the violent and theological disputes of the Eastern patriarchs. 
they claimed superiority at, as a result of this. The superiority was not acknowledged in the East and the insistence on this paved the way for schism. The theology of the two areas was vastly different and this gave rise to many misunderstandings, including the important doctrine of the Filioque. This doctrine revolves around the possession of the Holy Spirit from the Father and the Son. Without consulting the East, the Roman churches added the Filioque to the Nicene Creed, creating the divide. The groups then over time divided into smaller groups that we now know today as Catholic, Anglican and Orthodox. It is really important to know that the schisms did not occur just because of religious differences. There was, in fact, political and social influences that had an effect on this. One of the big causes was the breakoff of the Roman Empire. It was much like a breakoff of two people, misunderstanding and very violent. The Roman Empire had become so large that it was difficult to govern as a whole, which followed by the Great Schism, the English Reformation and the European Reformation. The three schisms are very complex and in this podcast I'm only going to be talking about the English Reformation. The English Reformation involves King Henry VIII and Pope Clement. It centres around the desire of King Henry VIII to get a divorce. Between 1527 and 1529, King Henry VIII became more and more dissatisfied with his wife, Catherine of Aragon. She had produced no male sons that would continue his family chain. Catherine was the widow of Henry's brother and the Catholic Church had provided a special dispensation so that they could marry. Henry appealed to the church for an annulment that would allow him to marry again. The Pope, however, declined. Henry was determined to get his way, for he had fallen in love with a young woman named Anne Boleyn. Henry gave up on Rome and pressured the English bishops to annul his marriage to Catherine, which they ended up doing. Henry quickly married Anne Boleyn. Later, in the act of supremacy, Parliament agreed with the clergy and declared Henry to be the supreme head of church in England. Henry had now taken the place of the Pope for the English church. The act of dissolution closed 560 English monasteries and gave their land and holdings to the king, Henry himself. The six articles define the doctrine and practice of the English church. They retained many Catholic elements, including the the celebrate of the clergy, the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, and the practice of confession. Henry, however, remained the head of the church. In 1547, Henry ended his reign, and that was the end of the English Reformation. Now for a little bit of information on King Henry VIII and his life. Henry was born on June 28, 1491 at the Royal Residence Greenwich Palace in Greenwich, London, England. Henry VIII was one of six children, only to three of whom survived. Upon Henry's father's death in 1509, Henry took the crown at only age 17. Henry was a really good-natured kid, but his court soon learned about his every wish. From 1514 to 1529, Henry had relied on Thomas Woosley, a Catholic cardinal, to guide his domestic and foreign policies. Thomas enjoyed a lavish existence under Henry, but when Thomas failed to deliver Henry's quick annulment from Catherine, the cardinal was quickly fell out of favour. In 1534, Henry declared himself supreme head of the Church of England. After Henry declared his supremacy, the Church separated forming the Church of England, as we know today as Anglican Church. He declared that the King was the only supreme head of the Church of England. 
Henry took the own at age 17 and because of this, he soon married. He married Catherine of Aragon six weeks later. Over the next 15 years, while Henry fought three wars with France, Catherine bore him a daughter, Mary, born in 1516. Henry had become infatuated with Anne Boylin, a young woman in his wife's entourage. He also worried that his marriage to Catherine had been cursed by God because of the Old Testament ban on marrying the widows of one's brother. The king decided to seek a papal annulment that would free him to remarry. Henry petitioned Pope Clement, but he was rebuffed due to pressure from the Catherine's nephew. When the backing of the English Parliament and clergy, Henry ultimately decided that he didn't need the Pope's permission to rule on issues affecting the Church of England. He was the head of England. England's monasteries were soon closed and in most cases sold off just to add to his own wealth. Henry then died at age 55 on January 28, 1547, and that ended his reign. After the divisions in Christianity occurred, there had to be a response, even if that was positive or negative, right? Well, the divisions led to Christianity needing to evaluate itself. This had occurred extensively over the past 100 years. There was now a greater focus on what unites the Christian denominations rather than what divides them. It is important to understand that Jesus longed for one church and a eucumenism. A eucumenism is a movement towards Christian unity and cooperation. The eucumenical movement seeks to recover the apostolistic sense of the early church for unity and diversity, and what confronts the frustrations and difficulties of the modern diverse world. It reassesses the historical sources of what followers perceive to be the one, holy, Catholic and apostolistic church of Jesus Christ. The eucumenical movement began in Edinburgh with a conference in 1910 and ended with the establishment of the World Council of Churches in Amsterdam in 1948. Pope John XXIII signalled the Catholic intent to join this movement in 1961 with the establishment of the Secretariat of the Promotion of Christian Unity. There were two main responses to the vision of Christianity and these were the Second Vatican Council being the Catholic response and the decree of eucumenism. The Second Vatican Council was a very controversial council that allowed the church, leaders and others to interpret dogma and doctrine in a protestant light with an emphasis on humanism, eucanism and religious liberty and in an effort to conform to the modern world today rather than the world adhering to what the church had always taught. In simpler terms, the church needed to catch up to the way of society in this day and age. The second response to the division of Christianity was the decree on eucumenism. It was established as a new focus on the unity of people of God, set out to understand other Christian denominations and establish a common dialogue with them to allow for recognition of the church's flaws. It also allowed for the focus on Catholics' common heritage with other denominations instead of what separates them. This now sums up the three divisions of Christianity, why they occurred and what the response was as a result of them. Don't forget to tune in next week where I'll be discussing what really happened at the Last Supper. Thanks for listening to the Religiosity Podcast.